This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Tusick. On today's episode, I interviewed Crypto Mags, as she's known on Twitter. Uh, Mags, she has a background in the energy industry, um, you know, specifically with uh, low carbon tech and renewables and um, and energy policy and pricing and, and economic development around that and regulations and such. Um, and then she, you know, uh, obviously fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and became a Bitcoiner. Um, and so I thought it was a... It, it was a good uh, person to talk to because she had the expertise in something that I don't really know much about at all. And I wanted to hear because there's a lot of overlay between energy consumption and pricing and all that kind of stuff and renewables um, with, you know, Bitcoin mining and and uh, Bitcoin in general. So uh, it was, uh, you know, just fair warning. This is not my wheelhouse. So, you know, I'm really uh, was uh doing my best just asking questions and learning from her and um and she gave some great answers and was a great talk and and uh and really eye-opening and i think it's exciting to see that we could be headed towards you know uh, a better future um and you know more energy efficient um and and lower cost for for energy and stuff like that and potentially bitcoin mining is what is leading us towards that so uh i hope you enjoy the show uh to get in contact with me on Twitter, uh, follow me there. It's at Bitcoin Simply. And the show email is Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, so you're up in Vancouver, right? Yep. Then you had A, a uh, open, open Canada. Um, I, I played hockey all the way through college, so I'm very familiar with uh, Canada. So <laughs> it's like my, my second home. I love it up there. Um, Vancouver, though, you say we're dealing with blackouts? What's no, the, I don't. Well, oh, sorry. Uh, yes. Power outages? Yes. Um, my area. So I'm about an hour away from Vancouver near Squamish. And we do get quite a bit of um, a couple of blackouts per year, but also controlled uh, power outages. But they're never fun because then you're like, what am I going to do all day if I'm trying to do work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you can't work, what are you going to do? That's and it's wild. not as easy as like going to a coffee shop these days and hanging out for several hours during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. You can't exactly do that in COVID. Um, and so you've, you've got to be a Canucks fan, I assume. No, I don't really do hockey too much. Okay. <laughs> it's always so funny whenever you come across uh, like it's harder to find Canadians that like hockey whenever you're not like in the hockey world. Cause like, so I grew up and, you know, played all the way through college, everybody, it was like hockey, hockey, hockey. And then I get into the movie business and now I'm dealing with like, I've talked to, you know, a handful of Canadians um, in the Bitcoin world and the, both the movie business and the um, Bitcoin world, you know, you bring up hockey and it's like, eh, maybe like 40%. You okay. Know? Interesting. I find that I do get into hockey during the Olympics where it's like my country, we need well, to make yeah, sure yeah, we're Canadian number pride. one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I think in Canada during the winter Olympics, everybody just shuts down and watches the winter Olympics. And, <laughs> um well yeah I don't know. everybody gets like like little kids get skating rings and some parents go so far as you know creating a little mini zamboni <laughs> oh yeah yeah well i was uh i was you know we're not in canada but uh we uh, this winter i had a ice rink in our yard and nice. uh was zamboning it for uh, my son i wanted to get a like a bike attached to with like a, a wet rag behind it 
yeah. seen people do that and they just like <laughs> ride the bike around the little rink and and zamboni it up so um anyway so yeah so crypto mags thank you for coming on happy to be here and so you just go by mags right i go by mags yeah yeah the, or crypto mags whatever you know um, yeah i guess if people know me from twitter that way <laughs> yeah yeah so I, uh, I got to ask you first about your background, um, you know, give the audience a little bit of your background and, you know, what you, what you do industry-wise and business-wise. Sure, sure. So I guess I started in government. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> a, you better watch where you say that in the Bitcoin world. I know, right? But it's interesting, you know, seeing how it works and how it doesn't work very well and um, you know, we always talk about taxation and government spending and, and seeing sometimes how it can be reckless or politically motivated can be very frustrating, um, especially the higher up you go in government, you see that a little bit more. Uh, but I spent my time for about a decade really focused on low carbon transition. So a lot of that came down to energy use and GHG emissions due to that. So I was really working on supporting clean tech. Um, low carbon technologies. And a lot of times, again, it had to do with how do we reduce energy intensity, energy use. Um, but I also spent a good time focused, um, you know, uh, working for the Ministry of Energy on electricity markets. So understanding how we price electricity, how the infrastructure um, uh, is added to electricity cost and built out, what are some of the considerations around different fuel mixes um, in our electricity grid. Uh, and, and, um, and, and, and also too, you know, how does carbon impact that to some degree? Um, so, and then a, a large part of that too was thinking about, you know, how do we main maintain our competitiveness um, as a jurisdiction? So things like, you know, carbon taxes and electricity prices definitely fit, feed into those kinds of decisions, but also how else can we encourage industries to, uh, first of all, if they already exist, to reinvest, maybe um, expand their business, expand their plant, um, or how do we track foreign direct investment? And creating kind of programs and policies uh, that help with that. Um, and also, you know, emergency response policies, for example, when the trade tariffs came in from the US, you know, how can we help, uh, for example, steel uh, industry who is uh, negatively hit by that, you know, respond to it in, in various different ways. So there's a number of different policy levers. And kind of, I think it was very helpful kind of understanding you know, some of these policies, especially as I transitioned to uh, Bitcoin, um, particularly, I think a, a good niche for me is the mining space because of, you know, understanding electricity markets um, and, and more so now starting to see carbon with the whole energy debate uh, coming mm -hmm. online, uh, particularly around the last year. Um, so, so in terms of what I did after I fell down the rabbit hole, <laughs> <laughs> that's where you landed. I fell down hard and then I ended up quitting my golden handcuffs. <laughs> yeah. You, you left the, left the government and, you know, you're now, uh, you're now fully on the, the, what libertarian side, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though, cause you, you can help you a little bit influenced, um, by some of the peers in the space, but then also, you know, thinking back, like, oh, that was really reckless spending to get votes, right? And and seeing kind of the, those decisions aren't always made in the public interest, but more to retain power. Um, and it happens even in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, 
uh, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so I, I do find myself a little bit influenced in that. I'm like, oh my God, the government is spending recklessly. <laughs> government spend my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think it's also just, um, I worked on some low income files um, and also some First Nations files, uh, Aboriginals, depending on kind of where, mm-hmm. you know, what area of the world you come from. And, you know, they're they're fairly disadvantaged as a, as a population, but generally low income individuals. So in some ways I have a soft spot um, for that. And then so seeing sort of, you know, food prices, energy prices rising, like it, it is a bit of a concern. And I can see, you know, this growing uh, inequity. And if you don't have hard assets like home, homes, um, you, you are getting the short end of the stick. So so yeah, policy decisions definitely make an impact and the way that they're run. And so I think, um, especially in this time, you, you know, you, you see those folks suffering the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um you know, and I think it's interesting how you said, like, coming into this world, you kind of, um, there's like a mixture, you know what I mean? Like you, you, your peers in this industry will, you know, affect how you think a little bit, not like how you think, but, you know, it just kind of like shows you different perspectives. But I think one of the things that's cool about the Bitcoin community is that people are very open and like, you know, it's like, it's not like abrasive, um, you know, and, and it actually opens me up. Like, so for example, I'm not like, anti like green energy at all or anything like that um you know just like to not to get into this just my side i'm like (laughs) i think that we need to be paying attention to everything we need to be recording everything but i also think i'm always somewhere in the middle you know i mean like i'm not like oh the world's ending i'm not that end but i'm not the like you know i'm gonna run my truck with the exhaust going everywhere you know it's like i'm just (laughs) i'm somewhere in the middle where i'm like it's gotta be a little bit of both like yeah. we need to be paying attention. We need to be mindful. And, um, but I also think like, uh, like, I don't know if it's as crazy as people cl- like call it out to be, but I've always been like, you know, it's, I would rather a clean environment. I'd rather have a, yeah. you know, I'd rather err on the side of doing things that are like, make the earth a better place. Um, and I'm also not a scientist, so I don't understand everything. So it's like, okay, yeah. well, you know, instead of throwing this plastic bottle into a landfill, let's throw that plastic bottle into something where it can be reused. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny because there's, um, you remind me of this one comic that always kind of resonated with me. It's a group of scientists huddled together saying, what if we're wrong and we make the world a better place, right? But <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. environmental <laughs> yeah. policies, yeah. But I mean, I think when it comes down to it, I know, um, you know, there's some folks in the mining space that are like, no, you know, like natural gas is is green and we sh- should still be burning fossil fuels. I think of it as a risk. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a risk mitigation. If you have multiple um, electricity sources, in some ways you're diversifying your grid and, and making it a little bit more resilient. If you're reliant on one particular feedstock, um, you know, maybe that was coal, um, maybe that was oil, which at some point, you know, there's the whole peak oil theory. Um, uh, I, I think by having a diversity, you know, you kind of just like in a portfolio, although us Bitcoiners are like Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitcoin only, but yeah, like, yeah. But I, I think it does. So if you know, if let's say you have a nuclear plant and that gets taken out by some way, right? But there goes fifty percent of your power. So or or a coal plant is taken offline, you know, to um, 
uh, okay, for, maybe not the nuclear plant gets blown up, but the nuclear plant does need refurbishment. And it will, mm-hmm. for example, in Ontario, it's being taken offline for a few years to, 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 to refurbish. So, so the government has to step in and, okay, where are we going to find that capacity? Because it was providing a significant chunk, right? Um, so we have, it has to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I think that, you know, you can look at ways to bring down the cost of energy and, um, and you can probably see where I'm going with this with the, as Bitcoin goes. But um, I think that that's one of the most fascinating things is, you know, like you said, Bitcoiners could be all over the spectrum. It could be, you know, nothing but pure green energy, nothing but nuclear, natural gas, mix of everything. Um, but ultimately, market will drive us towards the lowest, cheapest and yeah. best alternative for Bitcoin mining. Yeah. Um, and that was the first thing I messaged you about was was mining, um, because I kind of had I know you said you're not an expert in it. But, um, you know, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin mining, bringing people towards, you know, a better renewable energy source? I'm worried to find expert um, like I'm you know, expert maybe in, in energy markets and and industry, just, you know, heavy industry um, and how that applies, um, understand the theory of it. But so I think when it comes down to energy, so for example, 10 years ago uh, or more actually, uh, 14 years ago when I first started working on renewable energy um, and, and, you know, decarbonizing the grid, uh, Ontario, for example, was phasing out coal at the time, um, solar and wind were incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the phase out of coal, there was an understanding that we need to um, support energies to help bring down the cost over time, as has been done with other technologies. And so at the time, you know, the government invested in renewables, and they were paying subsidies of 80 dollars per megawatt which is expensive um Mm -hmm. it's quite expensive right residential rates are about ten dollars per megawatt 15 18 depends on you know where um and so it it was quite the subsidy but if we look now you know over time as more and more gets produced they get more efficient in some places renewables are cheaper than coal and I'm just talking about a marginal cost, like to add an extra unit of energy. Uh, I know some of the um, folks in the mining space, you know, when they think of environmental impact, they say, well, you have to think about it from a life cycle perspective, as in, you know, comparing it to withdrawing um, energy and minerals to create the turbine. So I think you have to at some point kind of decide where when I'm in this part of the discussion, I'm just talking about the initial generation. I'm not talking about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all the environmental impacts that come from producing a specific um, piece of equipment. But yeah, so so renewables from the perspective of um, energy generation at this point are quite competitive. And the other thing to, to factor in is carbon is becoming a cost center. So if you are burning coal, if you're burning um, uh, natural gas, it emits carbon. And as we, you know, policy decisions are being made, you know, to have net neutral, for example, by 2050, uh, carbon pricing starts to come in. And I'm, I'm hearing in Alberta, it adds $8 per megawatt um, for natural gas to um, to the cost, like the cost of carbon does. So if you are reliant on a carbon 
uh, fuel source, you might have additional costs. So in that sense, you know, renewables uh, and over time, that's going to grow because uh, carbon pricing is, is set to ramp up to kind of incentivize people to shift away from it. Right. And mm -hmm. so if you're mining, you're you're very conscious of your cost centers. You're like, how much, you know, per marginal unit? do I pay? And then what is coming down the pipe? You know, what kind of policy decisions are coming down the pipe to make sure that in two years and five years, I'm still competitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're always, I guess, have to be on your toes if you're a miner to <laughs> yeah. be paying attention as to, to where what's going to be cheapest. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the flaring, um, the people that are, uh, you know, hooking up mining rigs to flaring? And I mean, maybe, I don't know if you could explain that. Like I sure. kind of understand it, but yep. help under, help other people understand. Cause that's another word that gets thrown around. You'll see on Twitter, yeah. like flaring and people are like, what? Yeah. So when you're producing natural gas um, or oil, uh, we'll start with natural gas. So when you're producing natural gas, sometimes there are leaks um, or areas where you might need to flare, as in release uh, the methane into the atmosphere. Now, methane is a significantly more potent greenhouse gas, as in it's several times uh, worse to be released into the air in terms of the impact. It kind of depends on if you look at it over like immediately versus long term, but it's about uh, immediately about 24 times more potent um, that, uh, greenhouse gas than CO2. Uh, and so if you burn methane, you release, you instead convert it to CO2. And um, what that does is it does have a carbon impact in that you've reduced it. And so these, um, so some of the miners are trying to take advantage of the fact that typically that is wasted. It's wasted energy. I'm converting, I'm combusting. Um, so energy is, is being released that could be used for something, but typically it's not harnessed in any way. And so some pretty cool you know, shops are attaching miners, capturing that um, energy. So, so, so directing that uh, methane that would be flared typically, converting it, you know, combusting it with a gener generator and using that to power miners. And so, in that, and, and sometimes those, um, uh, that equipment can be a little bit more efficient in terms of, um, you know, getting bigger bang for the buck, or maybe it even reduces emissions, uh, other air pollutants um, because they have something like scrubbers, like technology that removes uh, some of the other pollutants from the air. So, um, so in, in that they're, they're doing good. Um, and, and the reason why also the natural gas production facility or the producer would be interested in having them come in is there's um, in a lot of jurisdictions, there are caps to the amount that you can flare uh, the government says, well, you can only, you know, up, up to a certain amount of volume. But when you attach the um, the miner to it, um, it's no longer in, in effect being flared, that natural gas. It's actually being put to use for something. So your flaring limit is reduced because you're not no longer flaring. You're taking that gas and you're using it for something so they can actually extract more natural gas. Now, other, um, other groups are taking advantage of something called stranded gas, where um, maybe it's not economical to access that gas and produce it. Maybe it's very far away and, and to bring it and to pipe it back into a central place where it could be used. Um, it's just not very economical to do that. It, it costs more than the value of the resource. Um, and so, for example, if you have an oil field, a lot of times you have that oil, but then there's a natural gas deposit directly over it. And so these wells are stranded in that it costs so much money to extract them. But if you then 
add in, you know, the fact that, hey, I could use some of that energy, some of that natural gas that's with this deposit. And as you pump out oil, it actually does get released. So you also have to burn it because uh, you can't just let the methane uh, release into the atmosphere. So people attach you know, the miners attach the miners and whether it's miners that own their own fields or, um, you, you know, they're brought in to help make it more competitive. Um, and so in a way it kind of subsidizes the resource extraction, maybe makes it more economical to access these stranded resources because now it's being subsidized by the fact that I'm mining Bitcoin with that energy. And so all that, I mean, to me, sounds like it's making, you know, I don't understand how that could be a bad thing, really, if you're reducing emissions. Yeah, you are reducing emissions. I think, um, so I think there could be an argument, not so much for the flaring, but for the stranded gas, because otherwise these resources would not have been developed because they're not economical mm. to, so they would be left into the ground. So there is that, I guess, argument for that particular um, one that an environmentalist could make. But for, in terms of flaring, it does assist quite a lot. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, I mean, I don't know, you know, long term, how long that'll last, you know, because as you know, the world moves away from, yeah. um, you know, gases and, and things like that towards renewables. But I also think, what are your thoughts on like, is, is Bitcoin going to be the thing that drives the discovery of like the best renewable sources of energy? I think Bitcoin can help. So if you look at a traditional electricity system, um, you know, and, and this isn't just talking about electricity, we have centralized kind of our whole economy, um, the way that we do things in society. So we have centralized government, we have centralized banking, but we also tend to have centralized electricity systems where for a long time we had very large centralized plants like a nuclear plant or a coal plant. And, you know, it would produce a lot of power and then that would get sent, you know, to the city center, um, or, or wherever through big, heavy transmission lines. And so that, you know, for example, nuclear in Ontario is 50% of a baseload of, you know, electricity production. And so, you know, and that, that's a huge chunk, right? But as we start to shift towards decentralized ways of doing things, that includes electricity. So we're bringing online um, a lot more decentralized kind of hotspots where, for example, you put on wind here because it's, um, you know, it's favorable conditions. You put in uh, solar panels in, in another area. And we're slowly kind of shifting how the energy grid looks. But that does also cause a lot of problems because in the past, if they put up very heavy transmission lines um, a certain way, because there used to be this giant um, generator and this big load, like a city that would take that power. Well, if you put somewhere further out, because that's where the wind uh, is, you now have a problem because you don't have transmission lines um, that can take that electricity from whether it's solar or wind or, or whatever they put in to that same city. And so the, the challenge then is, um, A, you have to pay for that infrastructure. But B, you know, because if you're a renewable generator, you can only place yourself in a certain spot, right? Because this is the optimal place, whether it's sun or wind. And, but that location might not be connected to the grid. And so you might not have a customer for a certain period of time because it takes some time to build up additional infrastructure or, or, or the way that the energy flows go, perhaps, you know, the system is overloaded. So it's, it's transmission constraint, as in you cannot feed in 
the amount that you your maybe your entire facility is. So maybe you can only feed in 40 megawatts of the hundred that you've built up. And so that creates a challenge because, you know, creating infrastructure is expensive. Creating a solar farm or a wind farm is expensive. So in case, and this has, you know, it, this is the situation, for example, in Texas right now, there are some solar or wind sites that are in transmission constrained areas. And so when you attach something like a miner, you add in, or, or a big mining farm, you add in a very predictable load that consistently will be taking power from you. And so in that, you, you know, you can arrange a power price and you're pretty much, you know, guaranteeing that you have a customer for the mining farm that is going to be buying power off of you pretty much 24 seven, 365. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so you, that can factor into your investment decisions on whether to a build, if you know, you're going to be having, a you know, uh, potential customers that for sure will be taking your power at, at a good price or B, maybe you want to undertake an expansion and, and that will factor into your cost of um, cost of capital and predicting, you know, whether you'll be profitable. And so mining comes in and is helpful because it creates a predictable um, profit or, or a predictable, you know, customer you're taking in money. And so that infrastructure is more likely to be built or more likely to, um, to be expanded in. And so I think that's where miners come in is they, they will, you know, be the buyers of last resort in some way. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, uh, like elect, like, uh, power companies, energy companies will start just building like their own mining farm on site? to subsidize their their costs you know and and just keep the bitcoin in-house i think it's um they go through a learning process where they first okay so i'm trying to understand this industry right and it's very mm -hmm. similar to data centers so i think they can start to wrap their head around it um and but but i, I you know i have been talking to so i have been involved with the uh co-founders of hud8 for um, six or seven months now on um, mining project. And so, you know, I've talked to a lot of different folks and, and, and I am seeing that whether they're the oil guys, oil guys or, um, or renewable um, uh, producers, they are starting to understand. And some of them actually do want to participate, whether that's in an equity position or that's you know on their own. They want to go out on their own and purchase mining equipment, um, and so I think they are starting to see the light, especially you know like money talks, right? Uh -huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, I, but it's a very kind of different um, different technology. So of course you know they, uh, in some ways it, it, it's quite challenging, right? They have to, it's, it's it's a whole different business unit, right? So I think we're going to see different types of models being played out, whether it's partnerships whether, you know, um, they just sell electricity and it's just like every business, you know, owner, they make different kinds of decisions, what makes sense for them and, and how much they want to kind of diversify their, their products or what, what, what it is they do. But I do, I, I am starting to see that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I hope, I really do hope that, you know, like, cause I think we're going to end up having, I think we'll have a race towards, um, you know, I, I think we'll have a race towards creating something you know for miners it's all about getting cheaper energy better energy um and it just does nothing but incentivize you know and i'm i'm have you read jeff uh, jeff booth's book um uh the price of tomorrow i haven't read it yet but i've heard a lot of his talks oh yeah he's he's great and uh, I, so you definitely get you know his uh 
his point of view. And I, and I think that, you know, Bitcoin plays a big part into, you know, whether it's incentivizing you for the right or wrong, quote unquote, you know, right or wrong reasons. Um, my hope is that it'll get us to something better, you know, cause it's like, you, how else are you going to get, you know, like people who might be like very environmentally friendly and people who might be like, you know, anti-environment or whatever but if they're both into bitcoin it makes sense for them to get towards a cleaner better source of energy yeah and i think it was really interesting for example when acre um and 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 europe uh they created a separate company ct um and and not only are they getting into mining um but they're also going to be funding different kinds of bitcoin companies and traditionally this was an uh an energy uh producing company an engineering company and so you know, and, and one of the reasons they're moving towards it is they think it's, you know, this is an environmental, um, not necessarily an environmental tech, but it can help promote, you know, the spread of green technologies. I think what's really interesting too, is when different types of stakeholders come into the place. So I've been speaking to some First Nations groups in Canada, um, and there, there is an interest there, for example, and if you think of First Nations, they're very much about sovereignty and, and freedom, mm -hmm. right? Like, they love freedom and, 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 and Bitcoin is freedom. Right. And if you think, you know, traditionally they have been disadvantaged too. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this, and you know, their land has been taken from them. So they kind of understand that part. Right? Yeah. They don't want to, they don't want to go through that again. Yeah. They don't want to give up any more freedom. <laughs> exactly. And so some are starting to contemplate Bitcoin, whether it's ownership and treasuries or others, you know, setting up their own infrastructure. And what's really interesting too, um, in, in Canada, different bands, uh, First Nations bands specialize in different kinds of technologies. So one maybe is agriculture. Another band is more on the renewable energy and, and they've put in, you know, their own uh, farms. Um, another one is uh, focusing on storage technology and partnering with a storage company. So I think it's neat that they kind of specialize, but what's really cool too, is they, you know, they understand the concept where you can, like, like the perfect kind of project would be, we get a Bitcoin mine, we create our own renewable, you know, energy uh, resource, connect those two, but then also cycle the heat for farming, for agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, and if a lot of communities in First Nations are further up north and their food, um, they have food scarcity. So they don't have access to fresh, fresh fruits and veggies. Um, it's very expensive to ship them up there. So if you create, you know, a, 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 an agricultural, um, whether it's greenhouses and you can cycle that heat in, uh, in Northern countries, you can provide fresh fruit and vegetables year round. And so mm -hmm. I think that's a very kind of sovereign uh, situation. And the other thing that I think is really exciting um, when you have First Nations getting involved into uh, Bitcoin um, is it becomes an ESG investment. Um, by First Nations participating, it's, it's, it's an ESG investment just because you know, um, there's, there's the environmental, if you add in some, some sort of renewable energy kind of component, but the social, you, you touch on the social element, right? By having the First Nations groups there. And so sometimes First Nations groups partner with institutions, if it's a large project, you know, over a hundred million. Um, and so, and, and, and historically it's been on things like bridges or pipelines, some of them, you know, billion dollar projects, but I think, you know, eventually we'll start to see some sort of partnership or whether, you know, it's, it's independent and self-sovereign uh, First Nations starting to kind of 
you know, really access this or the freedom that Bitcoin provides. Yeah. I mean, they, they basically are the original Citadel. Uh, (laughs) They're the original people that wanted the Citadel and just wanted to be left alone. Um, And, you know, and, and here we are again as a society, like kind of like coming back to that, like, I just kind of want like my own privacy and, you know, like not to be bothered. Um, Well, they're very, yeah, they are in a way, I guess, um, uh, like a, a, First Nations community is a citadel on its own where they have their own laws, right. That they're subject mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Like they're, they're, uh, and they have the protection, you know, at this point, you know, that w- it didn't start off the relationship between them and the government didn't start off great, obviously. Um, but, you know, at least now they have the protections and like you said, it's, it's their own citadel. Um, and now that's where we're, you know, where a lot of us want to go, where we all want to have our own <laughs> citadel. Um, well, interesting you mentioned that with the with the heat and everything, because um, you know, it was actually the question we got, but also um, I'm very interested because we're building our own house. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, do you see a way to harness Bitcoin mines for, you know, heating your house and, and stuff like yeah. that? Is that something that's something you can do on like an individual basis so i think i mean the answer is yes the challenge comes into place so let's say you're 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 building a house and you're attaching solar panels or maybe a wind turbine because i've seen both you know if you live in a windy location maybe along the shore um the challenge does come into play uh is how competitive are you and because you know, the addition of solar power, the addition of a turbine, it has a certain cost to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you want to be fully off grid, you probably have to put in some energy storage. Otherwise you're taking from the grid. Now, most residential homes, uh, they pay rates that, like I said, are around 10 to 20 cents or 10 to $20 per megawatt versus or 10 cents per kilowatt. And so that's not very competitive in the long term. The most um, competitive mines are looking for prices in the $30 per megawatt range. So, you know, that's several multiples more if you're a residential user. And then you're adding in, you're not just buying the equipment that's the, you know, the mining equipment, which um, you're also buying the infrastructure, whether that's storage or um, uh, some sort of renewable infrastructure. So you have to kind of factor those kind of costs in. Now, if you were already planning on being self-reliant and you're, you wanted you know, to put in some sort of backup, power backup, uh, Tesla wall, whatever. And Mm -hmm. and that was not your primary intention wasn't to put in mining, then I think, um, you know, in in some ways, it makes more sense, but you really have to be conscious, because there were a lot of folks that got in um, the last cycle, you know, it kind of creates FOMO, it creates FOMO for Bitcoin, but also creates FOMO for mining. And we're in a situation where some of the mining equipment from a year ago, for example, the trusty S9 and miner uh, has gone up something like 20 times. It's, you know, what it was selling last year. Some of the more expensive equipment, the newer equipment isn't as high a multiple, but it still is, you know, maybe four times more expensive than what you could have gotten it several months ago. And so the challenge is if you're doing it right now, kind of at the peak hype, and maybe it'll even get more peaky, um, you're buying equipment at a significantly higher cost than what, you know, 
Um, so that means you, it just, what it does mean is you have to take a lot longer to recover it. So if, if your intent is, yes, I'm going to do it because I'm going to make a lot of money. You really have to discount, you know, all mm -hmm. the equipment, you know, the renewables, the, the Tesla wall, the mining equipment, you have to first recover all those costs and the cost of power as you're generating before you start to make a profit. But instead, like if, if that's all you were going to do is just, I want to set up this citadel for the purpose of mining, you're more than likely would have been better off spending, and I don't know, maybe it's a hundred thousand, maybe it's 200,000, depending on you know, how significantly you're building out your house that mm. possibly would have just been because you have to recover those $200,000 first. Right. And then, yeah, before you <laughs> and even... then, yeah. And so, so it's, it's a, it's a tough, it's kind of, it's, it's personally, you know, what is it that you're doing? If you personally mm -hmm. want to be self-sovereign and you also want to mine your own coins and you think, you know what, even though I'm mining at a loss, I think Bitcoin's going to go up and, you know, I'm doing so because, um, because of, you know, your own reasons and your own values, then it might make sense, but you have to really crunch the math and, and it can be very difficult to crunch the math because you kind of have to forecast both the Bitcoin price, but what's more challenging is forecasting the hash rate and how much, you know, of the whole Energy. hash rate you yourself are. And that's the more challenging part. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to me, I think it, it's appealing you know, like, I mean, obviously everybody wants to make money, but I'm like, uh, you know, the, this, if this last year's taught us anything, it's like, I just want to be self-sufficient. And, um, it was funny, like I was talking to my friend and he was like, we were both talking about that. Um, and you would have never thought that me and him like a couple years ago would be people that were like, we're just like, we want to be self-sovereign. Yeah. And it's, this has pushed us all the way. He was like, I have like bamboo paper towels and like, <laughs> you know, he's like hanging them up and like drying them in the backyard and like all that yeah. kind of stuff. And, and we're looking at buying, you know, at least, uh, at least an acre plus yeah. of land. And, and, um, you know, the first thing we want to do is probably chickens and, oh um, yeah, and I then, want chickens and I want bees bees oh I yeah didn't my grandfather bees. was a beekeeper so we, we i grew up around chickens <laughs> okay so <you laughs> and i used to up. carry one around on each under each arm <laughs> as a little <laughs> kid and um and bees and i really want to have bees eventually uh the challenge here is there's bears last night there was a bear knocking over our garbage can uh, you know thing yeah. lock them up but still it's not <laughs> you always worry about the bears because if they do get into garbage they you know it becomes a dead bear eventually if it's a nuisance bear but um but the fact is if you have bee bees here you do have to enclose them because bears will come in too yeah so i'm thinking if i you know if i build i want probably the bees on top of the roof so the bear can't access them <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to come out and see Winnie the Pooh with his hands. Like, in the <laughs> yeah, jar exactly. Or... Otherwise, I have to create a whole new structure to house the bees, which seems a little silly. But I think you're right. If, if your intent is to be self-sovereign and, you know, generate a portion of your electricity or all of it, and that's what you were going to do, then, yeah, I think, you know, mining could make sense for you because you were going to spend that anyways, right? But then I think it's kind of a, a piece of, you know, are you buying the mining equipment at the right time? And perhaps yeah. maybe just wait for the next bear market where the price of machines drops. I mean, you know, last year people were selling S nines per ton, like per ton, like by weight. Yeah. Uh, 
And whereas now, you know, you're they're buying them individually and, and the profitability because uh, due to a number of kind of reasons and pandemic didn't help at all. And there's a silicon shortage. But the fact of the matter is there isn't as many um, new new equipment coming online as would have normally in kind of a, a, a bull market have happened because of supply constraints. And so, you know, so I think like if I were to buy mining equipment, I'm going to wait till the next bull market because people might, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, bear, bear, bear market. Yeah. Um, but, but I think it's been, it's been really interesting because typically um, hashing power as the price goes up, hashing power ten has tended to traditionally follow, but it's been in some ways delayed because of supply constraints. So it's been incredibly profitable to mine. I mean, even those S9s, like they're still profitable, I'm running one. Um, but I've heard that even the S7s, which are like really old uh, Bitcoin miners, that they're basically neutral. But I mean, if you're long Bitcoin, you're like, that's okay, I'll pay yeah. my oh, power yeah. and I'll just collect my little bit of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if you're long Bitcoin and if you have an S7, you're probably long yeah. Bitcoin. Um, yeah. I think maybe the way to go for me is to just focus on the energy part and then like, you know, build out the infrastructure um, so that down the road I can, you know, add that part in. But yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm full out like in the in the mode of like if if the grid goes down and everything I want like my food and my water and my electricity I'm good I'll sign up for Starlink and you know have I my have Starlink internet. you do <laughs> yeah how, how I'm on Starlink it? now actually <laughs> oh really no yeah. Way. Yeah, yeah, let me see. I'm gonna do a ping. Let me see how uh, how good it is. Uh, let me just see what is it. Um, oh my god, how do you uh, speed internet speed <laughs> so you do so you are in one of the areas then that because it's not available like yeah everywhere. it's not available no i'm i mean i'm near squamish so i think it's a little bit more rural but i think just generally i remember looking at the starlink map canada is has much better coverage than the u.s um it has been increasing we decided to go with starlink uh, we're testing it out as kind of a backup right now um as i said you know like uh, we have telus um and it's been so unreliable and I feel like it's been, you know, decreasing in reliability since we've been here, being my partner's been here about seven years in this area. And so we wanted a backup, but also, um, and I, I think it's been, do you know, it's, it's not as fast as if you were to pick like the fastest plan by TELUS, but those plans are quite expensive. That said, mm -hmm. Starlink is still pretty expensive, but the fact that eventually you can take it with you, um, move it somewhere, um, yeah is really appealing. Like I know I have a neighbor who wants to go, um, what do they call it? Off-road, not off-roading, but um, when they take their trucks up into the mountains and he wants to bring uh, the Starlink yeah. with him and then like create kind of like a mesh network. So a whole group of people can use it. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> that is wild. But for now it's very much restricted to your postal code. So you can't move it anywhere. You know, hopefully it, it opens up. So my current download speed is 11 megabits per second. Um, an upload is 10.4. Uh, I am kind of in my office, so I think it is much better at home. I think at home I've gotten it about 40 uh, for download. But uh, the fact that I'm talking to you through satellites is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wild. And so Starlink, I mean, they just, they're launching satellites like yeah, constantly. Yeah, a lot. Like every now and then you're like, oh, released a whole bunch more satellites. <laughs> it looks and like a little swarm of insects being released. <laughs> That's so, that's so wild. I, I mean, that's why I think, um, I think in the future we'll be able to just 
be pretty sovereign because of things like that. Like if, yeah. if you have renewable energy and um, your own energy sources and your own food and your own water, um, and really the only thing that you were missing was the internet, you know, and like the ability to communicate Yeah, exactly. Like that. Well, it also makes um, mining in more uh, remote regions a lot more, uh, you know, possible. So for example, it, like the first nations communities that I was talking about, um, you know, typically they are, or any kind of Northern community, they're um, disconnected from the transmission line. They're disconnected from um, the pipelines for natural gas. Uh, and they more than likely don't have access to broadband internet. And so, and it's very expensive to, to make infrastructure out there, especially because you're only adding in maybe a community of 100, uh, 200, right? It's rare that maybe there's a community up north um, that, that has a thousand people. They're very distributed little communities. And mm -hmm. so access to Starlink, I think is, um, it really opens up possibilities for them. And I think too, you know, setting up a, a larger mine and depending on what your feedstock is. But that said, um, you know, in Ontario, they converted an old coal plant into a biomass plant. So they are, there's different ways that you can process the biomass to add the energy content per, you know, like ton. Um, mm. So for example, you can do things like pyrolyze it, you can do things like um, create pellets, but then also make those pellets resemble more like coal. So you like pre-burn them. And so they are powering, you know, a community up north in Atacokin. Um, well, actually that does get fed into the grid because it formerly was a coal plant. But the fact of the matter is they have converted it into biomass. And so you could do something very similar um, and create a biomass generating plant um, somewhere in a remote community. You can add in your Bitcoin miners. I mean, mm -hmm. you can have uh, renewables as well, right? If, 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 yeah. if, if, if you have, yeah, if, if there's wind or, or solar. But, um, but the neat part is you can then recycle the heat. So I, I co-wrote uh, an article um, with, with, uh, with slush pool talking about recycling heat and there are, um, uh, what, what is it? Um, pilot projects being done, um, on large scale greenhouses, but you asked before, um, about home heating and you reminded me there is a group out in, um, in Europe, uh, in France, they're creating a, a Bitcoin boiler. <laughs> it's called Sato. Um, so huh. I don't know how far they are, um, but they're, it's an early stage project. So what they're doing is it's a startup and they're building um, a little water boiler that's also an ASIC miner. <laughs> and no that's going to be boiling your water, right? So I think... It's boiling the oceans. Well, that too. So, I mean, okay. <laughs> you want to talk about boiling oceans, my good friend Colin from Mint Green, he is boiling the ocean uh, and growing, not growing, he is heating a salt um, production facility, like artisanal sea salt. So they are evaporating the um, ocean water and uh, using ASIC heat uh, to produce this fancy salt that then gets sold in grocery stores. Um, Bitcoin but that's really, salt. You sorry? Bitcoin salt. Is totally, totally. It's going get to be. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's on Vancouver Island. And what's what's extra cool there is right next door is a whiskey distillery. And so um, the production of whis whiskey requires the production of mash, which has to be heated. Um, and then so they're same thing. They're going to be using the ASIC heat to heat this mash, but also the 
barrels of whiskey have to be heat kept at a certain temperature so that heat will also get cycled there as well so you have hmm. both sea salt that goes on your steak and you have your whiskey that you can have with your steak and it's like the perfect carnivore dinner <laughs> oh my that's like a bitcoiner's dream <laughs> it is it is so i think um you know, there's different ways that where I think the mining industry is going. On the one hand, I think we will see more and more centralized, very large facilities where you take advantage of economies of scale. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, but then secondly, I think we are going to see kind of more distributed applications, things where you're being creative, uh, like, you know, heat recycling at an industrial facility where you're doing something like an, it's an industrial synergy uh, of the two, um, or even, you know, even smaller applications, um, you know, heating homes, heating uh there's their mint green uh, was also heating a ski lodge up north using mining heat. Right. But mm -hmm. I think that can be taken to a larger scale too, where you create a district energy kind of heating system, heating the water um, and then, you know, going to homes or, or businesses. But, but when it comes to ASIC heat, it's a specific, it's a specific, um, it, it's not applicable to every application. For example, like something like a steel or a cement plant requires really high heat, whereas ASIC miners are kind of like degrees um, is what they're releasing. And so it's, it's a low grade heat. Oh, sorry, so they, you cut out there for a second. What was it? Oh, sorry. Many... It's a very low grade heat. Like how many degrees? Like, um, I, I think it depends kind of like on your machine and how many you have, but like typically it's kind of around 90 degrees. So, okay. I mean, even if there's like a range of like, let's say 80 to a hundred or 120, cause if you, if I look at my minor, right, like my S9, the danger zone is kind of like around 110. Yeah. Well, I think I, I think we cut out there for a second. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. We were, yeah, we were talking. Uh, so you're saying the danger zones around 110. Yeah. The Oh, I think that might be my internet. Yes. So the danger zone is around 110 on my ASIC. Uh, and, and so really you want, you want to be running at that optimal level, your equipment. And so that means that it's a low grade heat you reduce, you're releasing. So the kinds of applications that can take it are ones that need low heat. So food and beverage is a good example. Um, mm. It's not, it's not going to be your steel plant or your yeah. cement plant that requires very high temperatures. Yeah. Well, I'm from Pittsburgh, so I guess we won't be, uh, we're steel, former steel capital of the world. So I guess we won't be, <laughs> you know, boiling any uh, metals with, uh, with ASIC miners, but, you know, maybe we can uh, warm our water, which would be just enough. Uh, <laughs> but the other, one more, one more thing where I think the industry is going, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more use of waste and all sorts of ways. So if you, for example, have a hog farm, you are releasing a lot of organics and that might release a lot of methane. Uh, typically, you know, it gets put into something called an anaerobic digester. So anaerobic, no oxygen and methane is produced. But uh, a lot of times what you can do is capture that methane and then put it towards a combustor. And so typically, you know, an operation, especially with, um, with incentives like clean uh, energy incentives comes into play. So if you take that natural gas and you produce methane, you can mm -hmm. sell it for, for example, transportation fuel uh, and get renewable energy credits. So, you know, there's some incentive there to capture that methane and, and have it available for energy or, or feed it into, because um, you can actually clean the methane and then feed it into a typical pipeline. 
because it mm. will be, once you remove the moisture and potentially certain kinds of pollutants, um, it, it is no different than natural gas that you take from the ground. Uh, I mean, bio, biomass gas. And so, but what I, what I can also see is people attaching um, uh, generation equipment and mining off of that. And it is mm -hmm. waste in some ways, or you have something like tires, waste tires that just sit in landfills. Well, those tires can be burned um, and you can be burned for energy. Um, and, 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 and there's different processes, not just like, I'm just going to burn tires in a dump. There's yeah. ways to do it where you don't release the same levels of pollutants. Um, so much more environmentally friendly. Um, other things too, is if you are taking in waste, you are getting paid something called a tipping fee. So you can actually get paid, you know, for your energy source. And if you have a energy to waste facility that can combust it, um, also, you know, you have scrubbers, it takes, maybe you're taking in some biomass as a mix. So it's not all GHG emissions, if you, you know, mixing it. Um, they're called alternative fuels. If you take up um, plastics and paper and other kinds of waste and um, mix them, basically tear them up into like little pieces uh, and create a more uniform feedstock. So you know what you're combusting is predictable, but you're taking in that waste and someone is paying you and then you create your energy. So you could power miners off of that. So I think the industry will longer in the longer term look for other ways to kind of, whether it's cut costs or, or improve the economics and something like taking in waste fuels is another option, you know, to stay competitive, right? Yeah. Uh, as a, and, uh, and other models will be to sell the heat, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm generating a large amount of heat and I will sell it in an offtake agreement. And that's another, you know, revenue stream for me. That's awesome. Like <laughs> that's the type of stuff that just gets me so excited about where everything's going. Um, Cause like I said before with, I think this is like Bitcoin can be like the happy marriage of like where we like all can unify unify together and like move towards a better future. Um, yeah. That's like my eternal optimist view of like, you know, where it's like, Hey, this not only improves the environment um, it incentivizes, yeah. you know, us to get to a better, cause that's one thing I don't understand when people were like anti-environmentalist. I'm like, do you not like, beautiful land or like you know it's just like <laughs> I like think from, yeah yeah go ahead no I was just gonna say I think sometimes too they look at uh for example you know the there's pictures of like flare gas operations they look at that and they like oh this is terrible look they're burning this gas right and so there's a bit of like misperception I think there's still bitcoin still has a lot of enemies that continue to perpetuate kind of like myths um but I think it, it Honestly, it doesn't matter what they say because I'm seeing in the background, you know, companies being built that are utilizing waste. Um, they are recycling heat. They are um, helping renewables proliferation, uh, helping mm. in some way. It's not a direct subsidy, but it's a subsidy in that they're, um, you know, for example, in Texas, providing uh, a predictable load and profit center for renewables. So, so, you know, I am seeing this being done in the background and like the economics speak for themselves. These projects are being done because it makes economic sense. I think, you know, mining industry is cutthroat right now everybody's making profit because you know 
uh, yeah, number hash, go up. <laughs> the number went up so much compared to hash rate. But uh, honestly, like once the hash rate catches up, only the most profitable miners will stay in business, especially during a downturn, right? And so mm-hmm. they have to make sure that they're building out the most competitive operation so they don't get taken out on the next uh, bear market. And so, you know, they're thinking long term. They're not thinking like, I'm only going to be here for three years. If they're putting in an investment of $40 million, $200 million, it's because they intend to stay in business for many, many years to come. And so, uh, the, the environmentalists can say one thing, but the fact of the matter is there, there are direct benefits to the environment that we've seen, mm-hmm. uh, indirect benefits in the sense of helping renewable spread. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think um, at some point, I don't know if, if they will change their mind, but the fact of the matter is there will be folks that do recognize that. Mm-hmm. And that's like the, be- the the beautiful thing that, you know, I've heard multiple, I'm sure you've heard multiple people say it too, of like how what Satoshi did was basically monetize energy mm. and, you know, find a way to, <laughs> to make energy creation, uh, you know, have a value to it. Um, that is, I mean, not just a value to it, but it's just, it's fascinating when you go beyond the money part of it and seeing what he did. Um so uh, getting into that a little bit, just uh, what, how did you fall into Bitcoin? You know, what was your, <laughs> what was your, well, you said it was a rabbit hole, but like you yeah. kind of fell. So maybe it was more like a pothole there, like a manhole <laughs> you fell through. Well, I, and- I guess, yeah, initially it's maybe a pothole. I was like, it was number go up. And I was like, what is this? Why am I not in this? It was 2017, right? So yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, let's throw in a little bit of money. But that's the problem. You put a little bit of money in and then you're like, okay, what is this? And you start to read. But then honestly, it was like when you start to use, that's that's the aha moment. And you get a little bit of magic, right? Especially like, so for me, I had this week where I had to send money to Quadriga, which is a disaster and it's on itself. But I remember standing in line at the post office and it's costing me time. And I remember mm-hmm. having to spend money to send the money you know, to Quadriga. And I was like, ah, this costs like $45 for something like, I don't know, $2,000, let's say, right? And mm-hmm. I remember being irritated. And then in that same week, I sent somebody crypto, right? And I was like, holy crap, they got it pretty quick. They were in Europe and it only cost like a few cents. And, and I remember I was like, there's something here, right? And, and you sort of start to dive in and learn more about it. And at some point it's like, I think this is like, for me, it was legitimately, I'm like, this is where, like, I want to be where the next internet is being created. Like I want to be there and help build it or, and be involved. And that was, you know, when I decided to kind of to go full time, it was just not sustainable too. like working in government and trying to stay, you know, up to date on what's happening. It just, you run out of time. <laughs> so yeah. I've been involved in, I forgot to mention, I've been involved in a whole bunch of things. One of which is um, I've been appointed by the Supreme court to oversee the bankruptcy of Quatriga. I'm a bankruptcy inspector there. That's a pretty shitty story. Um, a lot of people lost, you know, some of them, even like their life savings, you know, we, uh. we say only invest as much as you you're willing to risk, but, but they had, you know, their life savings on there. Um, I've been involved in some nonprofits. Uh, I'm working with um, blockchain for climate and what we're working to do is connect global carbon accounts uh, on the blockchain. Um, and so we've been funded both government of Canada um, by uh, RBC Foundation. Um, recently, we had a $300,000 grant, which is pretty awesome. And, and I know that's not Bitcoin uh, related, but it is a way to kind of 
you know, stay connected to what I used to work on yeah. um, and, 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 and kind of this new world that we're building, um, been involved in consulting, uh, but, and then more, more recently mining that said, I've over the last like three years, this is my third mining project. So it's not, <laughs> it was that time before during the bear market to be getting into mining. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what happened in with Quadriga with, with oh, Jesus. This, uh, if you can get into that or if uh, no, no, I can't, I think it's, um, honestly, it is the worst case of what could happen on an exchange. Right. So he was embezzling money. First of all, mm-hmm. he was buying cars, automobiles, a plane, uh, a big boat. He took people's crypto. He never actually, he said he had cold wallets. Uh, this is Jerry, the, um, the founder of Quadriga, but he never actually was using them. Um, and so instead the crypto would just go to other exchanges like internationally and he was trading like he, mm. he was a terrible trader. So we lost money. He lost about 130, 140 million on bad mm. trades. So for example, you know, he thought Bitcoin, um, he traded Bitcoin for Ethereum, then Ethereum fell and he needed to convert it back to Bitcoin because people wanted to withdraw Bitcoin. So, you know, there was losses there. You know, mm-hmm. he effectively uh, shorted Bitcoin when Bitcoin was going up, longed Ethereum when it was going down. So there was a lot of losses there. I think he might have been liquidated on some exchanges too for margin trading. Um, honestly, he initially though, he didn't really have any kind of uh, setup where if he died, like there was no contingency plan. Nobody knew how to access crypto, which they thought, you know, turns out there wasn't any but the point of the matter is like there was no way to access it access his devices control the platform he was running the exchange off his laptop like the entire operation basically on Mm. his own laptop it's kind of crazy like no way like in in this day and age i think that that this is happening uh anymore a lot more serious players have come in there's we have strict regulations now in place in Canada around, you know, how you run an exchange and, you know, what you're required to report. And it's interesting too, watching how the Canadian regulations came to be. I can see that they are heavily influenced by Quadriga, where custody is kind of the central part on, you know, what you are then required to do if you custody people's money. And I think a lot of it comes down to what Jerry did or like how he was a terrible custodian. Um, and then just the whole details around his death were like pretty crazy too. <laughs> I'm like, you yeah. know, he died. They took it. She did at the hospital. Uh, the wife took his body back to um, the hotel. Then she tried to bring it back to the hospital to get it embalmed. And the hospital's like, uh, no, <laughs> this is a <laughs> procedure. And then so she took it to like a medical hospital where one of the um, directors had been like a few months back. Um, in trouble with the law due to corruption. It's just like weird, weird things there. (laughs) That's crazy. There's going to be a lot of documentaries coming out. I was going to say, I I might have to jump on that. And there's more coming. (laughs) It's a crazy story. Like, honestly, it's like, well, actually, I'll make them write this. um, maybe I'll go with the if there's already documentaries. Maybe I'll go for the the narrative. You know, do the you know start casting someone and figure that out. That um, <laughs> uh, that's wild. Um, and so basically, unfortunately for the people, they lost, I'm sure just it, is it worse than 
uh, Mount Gox or? Uh, it's not worth, well, it's not percentage worse than Mount wise, Gox I mean. because uh, first, like Mount Gox had a lot more money, like dollar value at the time of loss was more significant because we lost about 200 14 million, 15 million Canadian dollars. It's currently worth about um, $2 billion. I have like an app that I've inputted just so I can mm, see how much. Just to you see know, how bad Canadian. it is. Yeah, it's the opportunity loss, right? Um, Mount Gox. Mount Gox is actually really interesting because um, at the, like right now, if you just, just dollar value, whatever you had there, you're actually, because Bitcoin has appreciated so much, you're actually in dollar value terms will get back a lot more um, if you had Bitcoin than, um, than at the time what you would have put it in. And, and, and again, they're getting back pennies on the dollar, but it's just mm-hmm. because the, it appreciated so much. Quadriga is very different because most of what was recovered um, was about $40 million worth um uh, most of that was actual assets. So we took back, you know, the homes and we sold them and, and those kind of assets. We uh, recovered about $30 million. We got lucky. So CIBC was like, something funny is happening. So they locked up about $30 million. Um, and so he couldn't access this $30 million to a puzzle. And so by the time it got released, uh, it, it went straight to the trustee. And so at least we had that $30 million plus the about 10, 11, you know, it came from the assets. Um, so most of it is is cash, right? Yeah. Um, so there was some crypto, but um, at the time it was maybe about a million dollars worth. It appreciated. So I think it was maybe around $5 million. Um, but, you know, it's not the same kind of a situation where Mt. Gox a majority was kept in Bitcoin. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just... but, but there is one interesting thing. So Jerry, again, running an operation from his laptop, not running a great operation. They messed up on the coding. So there, I don't know if you recall the parody bug Mm-mm. where um, it was a bug in Ethereum where they hadn't put in the newest update. And so they locked out uh, 67,000 um, 67, ETH, which was the price of ETH now. Okay, let's just do quick math. So let's say 3,000 US times 70 for the ease of it. It's a lot. It's over 200 million, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so if they ever decide to, um, the Ethereum community release kind of the, the money that's stuck, it could actually help victims get something back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, wow. That's wild. I know I guess... it still happens, right? Like look, Turkey most recently, like a week or two ago, like exchanges still go down. Um, so, you know, wherever you do keep your money, it's, it's, it shouldn't be all of it. Um, you should do your due diligence. Mm-hmm. And it, it is what's available in Canada. Uh, there's a few, there's a few exchanges. So I know people uh, like to use ShakePay. There is Bull Bitcoin, which is non-custodial. So you send money, it goes directly into your wallet. Uh, a lot of Bitcoin is like that. Um, Bitvo uh, is one that I know the CEO, um, reputable. She used to work in the banking industry. Um, uh, there's also Kraken. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's, a, I mean, there, there's, there's more options than that. It's just, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, can, Canada's kind of interesting because there's a lot of very small exchanges like it, in the U.S., you know, there's Coinbase, US, uh, sorry, yeah, there's Coinbase, there is Binance U.S., but, and I don't think there's as many small players. I think there's at least 10 here in Canada. Oh, wow. But, 
But I will say Canada is a little bit different than the U.S. in that the U.S. has the Securities Commission that's at the federal level, whereas in Canada, it's provincial. So Mm. every single province has its own Securities Commission. Now, Ontario does kind of tend to throw its weight around. It's it's, and and the other provinces tend to look at Ontario kind of like the world looks to the SEC. Mm -hmm. but the fact that you have a different regulator in every province makes it more challenging because you have to then kind of comply in every single province if you have a clients there. So it, it is more expensive to do business here in Canada because, you know, generally they try to be a little bit harmonized, but they're not harmonized in terms of the regulations. So you do have to, you know, spend a little bit more um, money on lawyers to go jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Okay. Well, that's um yeah it's interesting once you get out of the u.s like i yeah. just assumed that there's ways you could get in the same way you could get it like anywhere on the internet you know and, <laughs> um like we had somebody i had to send um uh money to in in pakistan and i was like can i send you bitcoin he was like are you kidding i was like <laughs> this was a while ago before i really <laughs> dug into it i was like uh i was like no i'm not kidding why yeah. he was like yeah it can't happen here but I will say Canada is uh, has been pretty doing pretty well because we have now six Bitcoin ETFs uh, nice. and I think now four Ethereum ones. So, I mean, in the ETF space, like we've been killing it. Um, and why, if you're Canadian listening to this, um, what you can do is put some of your money in a tax-free savings account uh, and then put it into a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, and so the advantage there is it's a tax advantaged account. You will not pay taxes on it. And every Canadian has about $75,000 that they could put in their tax-free savings accounts. Like that's the cap for this year. Mm-hmm. And so um, like you put in like 70,000 and 10 X is from here and you don't ever pay taxes on that. <laughs> yeah. Do we have something like that in the U S I'm trying to think. <laughs> no, not an ETF yet, but U S citizens can, um, can buy Canadian ETFs, but so you guys have Roth IRAs that are tax yeah. advantaged accounts. I don't believe they're in the same way though. Uh, I don't, as in, no, like, I don't think there's taxes the same. on it. <laughs> yeah, we pay taxes at some point. Like we were talking about, it's tax season right now. And I'm just like, I know, I know. I was just doing, oh, I hate doing taxes. And then uh, honestly, like every kind of, if you are spending Bitcoin, if you are trading between cryptos, those are all taxable events. And even like starting to think about, okay, I'm playing around with lightning and playing lip, you know, Bitcoin games, like B sports, like yeah. Bitcoin esports, and you win like a hundred sats. And you're like, technically this is a taxable event. Cause I just got given a hundred sats. Right. And if you yeah. give it to someone else, because you're playing this Bitcoin game and you're like, uh, I really like Bitcoin Rally, so you can throw up, you know, those like little um, and in Mario Kart, the little um, surprise boxes, so you can get some yeah. sort of shell or whatever. They have those, but you can uh, for the players that are playing, you can um, pay some satoshis to give like a box for the players oh. to play in in the rally, and so you can you know gift them one. But it's like that's a taxable event because you, you you know you spend Bitcoin, and it's just like oh man, it's going to get really 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 complicated, complicated. yeah i know <laughs> like streaming what if you're like okay so now they have what is it the sphinx chat right sphinx chat, you're, paying, yeah. you're paying satoshis technically each one is a taxable event like it's going to become a nightmare yeah because if you pull out if you're i guess if you're pulling out more than your basis that you put in no it doesn't matter really 
yes, any spending or any receiving is taxable. Like if you're receiving it, it just adds to your cost basis. If you're spending it, then it's like the dollar amount and it's like less than a few pennies. It's really annoying and frustrating. And yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> really? So if you're, I mean, good thing I don't spend any, um, but if you're, <laughs> so if you're, if you're, you're streaming it. a podcast and sending Satoshis, technically that should be, I know it sucks, but because it's, you're spending, you're spending your Bitcoin. It's like, you're selling so you have to it. pay the capital gains on it. Or... Well, I mean, it's going to be so small that you don't like, because if you're, if you're spent, spending like 0.001 of a penny, like it's going to be negligible. But the fact is like, technically you should be accounting for all that. Yeah. It's really annoying. I know. I agree. There, sh- there uh. should be those. Di- I know. Um, different groups are working to get de minimis exemptions in. So for example, if you spend less than 600 or 500, it shouldn't be a taxable event. And that's to help things like, okay, if I'm paying for coffee, like mm-hmm. what is every coffee supposed to be, um, you know, put on my taxes. Uh, and yeah, so I think, you know, long-term, hopefully there will be kind of infrastructure put in place to allow for people to transact. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not great. <laughs> Oh, hopefully that gets figured That's out. That's right. Soon, hodl. Just, just hodl. <laughs> I'm like, I just got my fold card. Um, so, I mean, I'll be getting the rewards. Uh, uh, yeah, technically that, that should be like, um, well, I don't know how it is in the U.S. You're in the U.S.? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, so in Canada, if let's say I spent cash and I got $100 of Bitcoin back, you know, long term, like that would be added to my cost basis at like whatever the price of Bitcoin was at the time. Okay. Um, and then if you then spent it, then, you know, all the cost bases over the years. Yeah, I know. Taxes suck, guys. <laughs> oh, it's, I was just like saying um, to my dad about it. I was like, is there, can this just be simpler? Like, can they just be like, here's the <laughs> well, amount. you can move to a country that uh, is more favorable. <laughs> yeah, it's not so much. It's not the paying of the taxes. It's the, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's just. the calculations. Yeah, and I'm just like. Because my dad's like, well, no, that's it. He's a, you know, CPA, so he's like, oh, this is a taxable, a taxable event, blah 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 blah. And yeah, there, just, I mean, there are tools that can help you. Tools like Coin Tracker, for example. There's other tax software. Um, there's certain different levels of privacy you can give up. You can go so, so far as providing your XPub, um, so that it just like manually keeps track of where you spent versus where you received. Um, you can, or you can just, you know, download your history from exchanges, uh, and just upload those onto it. Um, obviously it's a lot easier if you connect through APIs and it's just automatically done, for example, with Binance or whatever exchange Kraken, et cetera. And then, so, so it will give you a little printout, um, at the end for your, your, like the specific tax forms that you need to fill out. It it does make your life easier, but you know, uh, there's always that trade-off between convenience and maybe privacy or Mm -hmm. certain levels of privacy, or you can just keep your own spreadsheet, right? But and how do the crypto taxes work for people that are trading? Because like every trade is a taxable event. Um, if it's crypto to cash, ca- uh, so if you're selling crypto into cash, it's a taxable event. If you're trading Ethereum into Bitcoin, it's a taxable event because you sold, right? So you mm-hmm. that, that's selling, it's either a gain or a um, loss. And mm-hmm. then, the, so so if I sold Ethereum, there was either a gain or a loss, and then I bought Bitcoin that gets added to the ACB. So so it really kind of, in some ways, discourages 
trading. I mean, if you're a great trader, fantastic. But if you're a shit trader, like yeah. not only do you have to pay taxes, you're, you're, you're incurring losses. And people have gotten burned actually during 2017. A lot of folks, including myself, <laughs> did not realize that each trade was a taxable event. You know, I mean, come on, you got in. I was like 2017. I didn't know any better. I was like, yeah. oh, coins, fantastic, which all went to shit. And one of the reasons why, you know, I really believe strongly in Bitcoin is like, you look at it and like, man, if I had just bought Bitcoin and held it, I'd be in a really good spot. But instead, like I held on to shit forever. And I I actually, I went lower than what I put in, which is like the worst case scenario. It's like, yeah, big deal. I got in at 2017, but I actually lost money. So that was a good learning event. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lesson learned then, right? Yeah. But what happened though, is a lot of folks, they were trading, you know, the market kept rising and it looked like they made like $100,000 or even know of a gentleman who made like, you know, it looked like he'd made a million dollars, but he didn't sell. And he just, you know, he was flipping between coins. Um, And there was a big tax bill due. So he actually had to borrow to pay off his taxes. And I remember myself too. I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize this was taxable events. I have to pay taxes on this, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm at a loss and I need to pay taxes. <laughs> but there were <laughs> folks that got really burned. They had to borrow money, right? So, you know, if you're trading, um, make sure that you have money set aside for the tax man. So it's not it's not just based on how much you put in, like say if you you, somebody puts in $10,000 and they, you know, trade a million times throughout the year and they end up, you know, trading up to like 12,000. Do they owe just on the 2000 difference? No, it's not the difference. It's so let's say if the market goes up, so Bitcoin goes from like 10,000 to 50,000 or like it did 5,000 to 50,000. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're trading along. So as the price goes, so, 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 you know, if, if, if Bitcoin doubles, that's, it's seen and you trade all of it, it's seen as, you know, you gained that whole amount, right? So every time you do a trade, it looks at the current price. And if, is that a tax gain or a loss? And so what happened during that cycle was Bitcoin kept going up, right? So people were trading, 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 and it looked like they were making money on every trade because they were like, the price is going up. So there's a gain here. There's another gain because they sell is another game but at some point when last time it turned into a bear market you know every trend prices were going down every trade was a loss but that probably would have been in the year after Uh. um, that it started to you know see losses so at that time if they didn't you know keep it in um fiat uh, sorry if they didn't have any cash on hand and it all was crypto that was going down they owed for that times that it kept going up and up and up so they got screwed over so just buy and hold yeah, buy and hold works really well. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to go. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, because technically buying is not like a taxable event from the perspective that you don't have to pay. It's not a gain or a loss. It just adds to your adjusted cost base. Yeah. Uh, taxes aren't fun, though. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> We're talking not. about taxes. People are going to snooze. <laughs> I know. It's like I'm just sitting here like when it comes to the like tax conversations, like I was talking with my dad about taxes on Saturday and we're just sitting there and I'm, I'm like, kind of like Michael Scott, whenever um, <laughs> the episode where he puts off doing the, the quarterly reports and like all the things that he has to do and Pam's trying to get him to do it all day. And he's just like, keeps putting it off and putting it off. And that's how I feel. I just like have my forehead <laughs> on the table. I'm like, dad, just do it. Can you just do it and tell yeah. me what, what, uh, what I owe? Um, <laughs> uh, it's uh yeah. Well, anyways, so let's uh hopefully, 
uh, everybody can stop trading and then the price will just go up forever. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. All right, Mags. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been great. Where can people find you? And, uh, and yeah, what do you have coming up? Yeah. So they can find me on Twitter, probably the best way, uh, crypto underscore Mags. Um, I still consult with metamesh.com meta mesh uh but um i've also been working on a project uh in the bitcoin mining space so we'll see <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah there'll be more coming out <laughs> hopefully you know it'll 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 work out but you know how these things work you work on how many startups before they uh <laughs> oh yeah before they go yeah and then all of a sudden you're overwhelmed and you have so, a million so i subscribe to the secret to happiness in life is low expectations so i'm gonna have low expectations yeah yeah <laughs> expectations you're like pump it up and then it doesn't happen it's like ah yeah yeah i i'm always on the other end my wife my wife does the like she tries to to temper her enthusiasm for things and um and i'm on the other hand like i'm the dreamer where i'm like oh this stuff's happening you know i know know. that's why it's like when people are like oh what's your price prediction i'm like no 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 no. low expectations maybe 100k end of the year like you gotta have low expectations so that if it only hits 100 you're okay because you were expecting 100 if it goes to 400 awesome way better than what i thought it would go to (laughs) yeah exactly and then you're you're not disappointed either way yeah (laughs) awesome well uh are you going to miami no sadly not i think there's a lot of restrict travel restrictions too many restrictions Um, at this point yeah let's just say next year yeah yeah and hopefully it's still in miami <laughs> i am having major fomo though it's terrible everyone's like oh it's gonna be so amazing they're gonna have like the b sports arena with mount gox and just like honestly i think most people are just going to hang out with folks and not listen to the actual conference <laughs> yeah <laughs> i agree that's probably what's happening <laughs> yeah so, uh well we'll uh we'll miss you there and uh you know we'll uh everybody check her out online and and i appreciate you for coming on thank you All right, thanks. Bye, everyone.